Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcast. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Joe McCormick. And it's Saturday, so we are reaching into the vault to bring you an older episode of the show. This one originally published on September 27th, 2022. It was one we did on the invention of the gimbal. All right, let's dive right in. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And I want to start this episode with a quote, just because this is where my mind instantly went for this episode, which is going to be about the gimbal. I, I thought of this of this line from the poem The Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. Okay. Twas brillig and the slithy toes did gyre and gimble in the wabe. Okay, so I was about to say that every noun, verb, and adjective in this uh, in this couplet is nonsense, but then I realized there are actually a couple of real verbs in there. There's twas and there's did. In fact, actually twas, I think contains a noun and a verb because the T in twas is for it. So we get it was and did, but yeah, everything else, I don't know what those words mean. And you're, I think you're not supposed to. Well, gyre is real, uh, to, to whirl or, uh, or to gyrate. Um, Do you think that's what it's supposed means... to mean in this context though? I think yes, or mostly yes. <laughs> just, oh, okay. Just, but, but that's the thing about uh, Lewis Carroll, a lot of nonsense words. And then gimbal throws one off because when you look at this, Gimbal, as in the title of this episode, in case you don't have the title in front of you, is spelled G-I-M-B-A-L. And in the Lewis Carroll poem, it's spelled G-I-M-B-L-E. And if you look that spelling of gimbal up uh, in a dictionary, you get to make a face or to grimace, which does not seem to be what's going on here. 
Um, the gimbal we're talking about is, as we'll de define more clearly here in a bit, a mechanism typically consisting of rings pivoting at right angles for keeping an instrument uh, 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 horizontal uh, in a moving vessel or on a moving plane, that sort of thing. Um, so it, that definition would seem to sort of line up more with what's going on here, the idea of some sort of um, uh, gyre, some sort of uh, revolution going on. Uh, but I, was re I read a little bit more about this, and it turns out that Lewis Carroll is absolutely of no help to us today. Uh, um, he, in this text, apparently Humpty Dumpty himself weighs in. I either didn't know this or had forgotten this on the meaning of all this, pointing out that toves are a kind of lizard badger creature and that gimbal in this context means, quote, to make holes like a gimlet. A gimlet mm. is a hand tool for drilling small holes in wood. Slithy is a combination of lithe and slimy. So it's a slimy badger lizard that rotates and bores. Okay, I see. But wait a minute. I'm still confused when you say that gimbal in this line means to make holes like a gimlet. Was that a general definition of the word at the time this poem was written, or is that unique to the meaning within the poem? My understanding is that this is a Lewis Carroll thing. Okay. That Humpty Dumpty is explaining it, uh, because, or at least in the dictionaries I was looking at, I did not see this as an accepted definition or alternate definition for uh, gimbal, G-I-M-B-L-E. Well, in that case, that would support my initial interpretation that even though gyre is a real word in this context, it is supposed to be a nonsense word. Right. But uh, but the nonsense being perhaps less removed from the reality. Yeah, it's it's I mean, that's, I guess, the delight of Lewis Carroll text is you have all of these nonsense words. You have words that uh, are, are being used at the very least in the pursuit of some sort of nonsense. This may be the most whimsical opening ever to a podcast about a <laughs> rotation mechanism. Yeah, it's probably a bad opening since Aww, the, the, example, well, no, the, the example does not have a, a useful definition of the word involved. It's more of a, a tangent, but still, I mean, entertaining, I would hope. I, I enjoyed going on this little Lewis Carroll journey with you. But OK, so we're going to talk about gimbals today. What is a gimbal? I think we might need to do a little bit of concept sorting because when I was searching for information about gimbals on the internet, first of all, a lot of what comes up is just camera equipment and we can discuss that uh, later in the mm -hmm. episode. But even when you're just trying to find information about the underlying mechanical concept, a lot of what comes up seems to be references to a complex device made out of three parts that are in fact each individually called a gimbal. So anyway, I got this sorted out by consulting a reference manual. I went to the Oxford Dictionary of Mechanical Engineering. If that's not an authoritative source, I don't know what is. And according to this volume, a gimbal is, quote, a pivoted support that allows rotation of a supported object about a single axis. Two orthogonal gimbals are used in supports of, for example, compasses. So I think the object mounted within a gimbal is most often going to be a platform that is supposed to maintain its orientation with respect to gravity, or it's some kind of detector, sensor, or measuring device. But when I was thinking about simple examples that people might know from around their homes, I actually thought of the C-shaped mounting for a globe. Uh, I actually was, was looking at a globe just the other day and admiring all of the like names of countries that are no longer accurate on it. Um, 
But on a globe, you get this, you know, often have this uh, either a full ring or or sort of a C-shaped metal ring that connects to the globe at the poles and allows the globe to rotate within it. Uh, And of course, this simulates the rotation of the Earth. Now, often when you read about references to gimbals, they will be referring to systems that use two or three or even more gimbals in combination uh, in succession with one another to allow more dimensions of free rotation. For example, probably the most famous one is known as Cardan's suspension. And this is, again, according to the uh, the Oxford Handbook of uh, Mechanical Engineering, quote, a system that uses three gimbals with orthogonal axes, orthogonal meaning at, uh, at 90 degree angles, orthogonal axes so as to support a component in a fixed orientation despite rotation of the mounting of the gimbals. Cardan, by the way, uh, that's named for Gerolamo Cardano, a 16th century Italian polymath who developed a or made use of a three ring gimbal. Right, and the uh, the handbook goes on to say that uh, the cardan suspension is most often used to support gyroscopes for navigational use or for various types of experiments about uh, uh, freely rotating bodies. So to return to the globe analogy, imagine you've got a regular globe. It's got a C-shaped mounting that allows it to rotate freely on its axis. But then imagine you mount that C-shaped mounting to a ring that allows the C-shaped mounting to rotate freely on the equatorial axis. So that's two dimensions of rotation. And then say you mount that within a third ring, and within that ring you can actually have the globe uh, rotate sort of, uh, say, top front to back. And with these three rings, you can rotate freely in all three dimensions of space. The dimensions that in the context of, say, uh, talking about the attitude of an airplane, you would call pitch, roll, and yaw. Now, there's normally no reason you would want a globe to rotate in three dimensions, but... There are situations where it would be very useful to have an object mounted within two or three gimbals. For example, what if you want to create an object that maintains a fixed orientation with respect to some outside frame of reference, even though the ground or the housing in which the object is mounted will itself move? So say you want a platform that maintains orientation with respect to the Earth, maybe the Earth's center of gravity, or maintains uh, maintains orientation with respect to some point in the stars, or some fixed point of focus, like, say, the subject of a frame uh, uh, when you're using a camera, all while being mounted inside a housing that is prone to moving and jostling around. For a simpler version of all that, just imagine you want uh, you want a cup holder or any open reservoir for liquid that will stay upright and not spill, even though it's say mounted in a ship that is expected to be going through rough seas. Yeah, and uh, looking around, I notice you can get some some gimbal. Uh... Uh, uh, drink holders for, uh, I think, Mm -hmm. mostly boats. This reminds me, though, I think the earliest example of this mechanism that I remember seeing, uh, I mean, I I would have seen compasses and so forth, but uh, a situation where someone was really calling out the gimbal technology was some sort of, I don't know if this was like a Mr. Wizard or Reading Rainbow or some Nickelodeon show, but it was like something with kid inventors and kids were rolling out their inventions, and uh, one of the kid inventions was essentially a gimbal drink tray. 
Um, mm. So I think if memory serves, these weren't round uh, frames, but they were square frames, but it created the same sort of situation. And they demonstrated it showing like a glass of Coke uh, or Pepsi, you know, there in the middle of it. And I remember at the time thinking, well, this is phenomenal. This is what we should use all the time. And, and of course, then you go back into the world and you realize, well, no, I guess, I guess the engineering benefits of this design do not make this a better option than simply being careful uh, with a tray. Uh, but at the time, I remember being really impressed with it and thinking, well, this, this is the way. This is the way we should be carrying drinks around on trays. We should see this in every restaurant in, uh, in every city around the world. Oh yeah, I mean when you're carrying your coffee cup and it's and it's too full and it just starts sloshing back and forth and you're like I can't I, I I've got to stop walking or I've got to spill it. There that's pretty much it. A sort of gimbaled sling for your coffee cup I suspect would help overcome that problem. Yeah, or say a martini glass where it's like this this is a horrible design. Why <laughs> I I mean and yeah, I, I could easily go off on the martini glass. It's easy so easy to slosh, but it makes you think, well, we got to have gimbal trays for these things. If we we're going to insist on drinking out of these ridiculous glasses and not something more uh, reasonable like a like a coupe or a Nick and Nora then uh, well then well, let's get specialized trays. You know, I think the the poor design of the martini glass is actually uh, intentional. There's like a psychological effect of the fact that it sloshes so easily. It makes the the act of drinking the martini kind of delicate experience. So you imagine, mm. I don't know, Don Draper having a martini or whatever, and he's not just knocking it back. You know, he's got to like hold it very carefully and sip it carefully, and it makes it a, a tender moment. Mm, yeah, and then I guess the threshold for, uh, for for becoming sloppy with your drink is that much closer, and th therefore maybe the idea as well if they're getting they're having too much to drink, they're going to spill more of it. They'll spill more of it on themselves, and they'll think twice about ordering more of this particular <laughs> beverage. They'll realize I maybe I should just get a water and go home. Maybe I should just get six dozen more uh, oysters and then go to the meeting. <laughs> Well, okay. Anyway, a, a lot of sources, uh, if you try to look for the origins of the gimbal system, I think this is one of the many uh, mechanical designs. We don't know for sure the, the actual origin of it, but uh, the one of the earliest mentions of a gimbal is often uh, cited to a 3rd century BCE Greek engineer and author named Philo of Byzantium, or Philon of Byzantium. I was reading about this in a book called Gears by Vincenzo Vullo, published by uh, Springer in 2020. And there's just a short paragraph about Philo here. Uh, Vullo writes, quote, Philo was also the first to describe a gimbal. It was applied to an eight-side ink pot that could be turned any way driven by gears without the ink being poured. This was done by suspending the inkwell at a central plate after assembling this on a series of concentric metal rings, which were stationary regardless of how the pot could rotate. Now, like many things, uh, like many inventions mentioned in uh, ancient Greek reference texts, this doesn't necessarily mean uh, that Philo was the inventor of this object or that uh, Philo was the inventor of the gimbal or the gimbal system. But this does appear to be a very uh, early, if not the earliest written reference to it. Yeah, in looking at and considering the, the history of the gimbal, I'm, I'm reminded of our discussions of the wheel. Uh, mm. So you look at the history and go, certainly we have an invention episode on the wheel, uh, at least one. I can't remember if it's a one-parter or a two-parter. But one of the things we touched on is that it's one thing to 
happen upon the concept, to invent the concept of the wheel. But then how practical is it if you don't have roads? And so we have various examples of cultures where there wasn't really a practical use of the wheel, but the wheel was still around as a novelty. We'd see, they would, one would see it in the use of toys for children. Mm-hmm. And so one can easily imagine a situation where the gimbal is much the same, where uh, craftsmen and, and, and curious minds would have happened upon this property, would have developed this. But if there's not something that you need to keep stable, and then, then, then why roll it out? Why make any more of a, a of an issue out of it? Because again, I come back to that example of the kid inventors with the uh, <laughs> with the tray. Like that's cool and all, but if it's not actually better than just carefully carrying a tray, then mm-hmm. it's not an invention that's going to actually have any legs. Right, and in the end, a lot of the the real uses of gimbal systems seem to be highly specialized. They're not usually like everyday use kind of objects. They're often for special kinds of uh, detectors and sensors in special contexts. Of course, in scientific experiments, and later we'll get to this in space travel after the invention of photography. Uh, But earlier than that, at least in the use of sea navigation. Right, right. At what point do you have something where it makes sense to bust out this technology to keep it stationary? Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. 
In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you just said the word censor. Uh, you were, of course, you, referring to a different spelling and usage of the word, but the, in this, we're coming back to uh, our discussion of incense and incense censors uh, from the previous uh, episodes of the show. Uh, because as we teased uh, towards the end of Incense Part 2, this episode on gimbals is kind of a continuation of that journey. Um, so while a great deal of the history of incense uh, usage has more to do with religion and pure aesthetics, there are still practical applications. And we, when we consider the technology of sensors, again, dedicated incense burning containers and devices, uh, yeah, things get a bit more complicated. And indeed, in this case, we see links between sensors and uh, gimbal technology that will ultimately play a big role in, say, the future of things like photography and marine navigation and even rocket science. Uh, but, uh, but we can go back to very old traditions, very old technologies involving the use of incense. And I guess you might, might wonder, well, why would you need to use a gimbal on an incense? At which point does it pass that kid inventor test of the practicality, um, overpowering the, just the pure novelty of the thing? So one of my main sources for this is a 2022 article by art historian Bing Huang, published in the journal Religions. Uh, he, he cites uh, several sources here, including the work of noted sinologist Joseph Needham, whose writings we recently referenced on the show uh, as well. Um, uh, this is a, an individual who casts uh, he casts a long shadow in the study of Chinese science and technology, especially in the West. His multi-volume work on the history of science and civilization in China uh, was very much a career-defining work. Mm -hmm. So as uh, Huang uh, describes here, uh, it would seem, based on Needham's research and writings, that Chinese knowledge of the gimbal dates back at least to the 2nd century CE, but also possibly to the 2nd century BCE. We have a poet by the name of Sima Shengru who makes a reference to the Jinzun Sheng. These are the metal rings containing the burning perfume. And this is in the Mai Ren Fu. Uh, this is Ode on Beautiful Women, a poem that contains a seduction scene and in doing so describes the various these uh, bedchambers and the items inside that bedchamber. And it's inferred then, uh, in Needham's writing, that uh, based on other texts, the artifact described here might in fact be a gimbal suspension to keep the burning perfume stable. Ah, okay. So much like you might have, say, a cup holder on a boat that could use uh, a gimbal system in order to keep the drink from spilling while the boat rocks in the waves – this could potentially be a container for burning incense that would use a gimbal system to keep it stable to make sure it didn't it didn't spill. Right now, you you may be wondering about the, the again the the kid inventor uh, test here. Like, why is it really necessary? Well, there's a potential answer for that, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, if if this is this is true, if, uh, if this would seem to position the earliest Chinese references to gimbal. 
um, pretty early on. In some cases, I don't know if these, this would necessarily be earlier than, um, than, than Philo, but, but certainly this would be pretty early on um, in, in Eastern traditions uh, compared with Western traditions. I should note that when it comes to critics of Needham, a common one was that he uh, tended toward Chinese superiority in his analysis. Apparently, other critics, however, argued quite the opposite, that he struggled to shake free of the shackles of European exceptionalism uh, in his sinology. So, um, you know, ultimately, I'm not sure exactly where the, the truth falls on all of that, but uh, probably worth reminding everyone that Needham lived 1900 through 1995, and, and, and he was, I think, pretty active uh, up and towards the toward toward the end of his life as like an editor of these volumes. But um, uh, Huang does not raise the specter of either inclination, though he, he does look at new evidence, disagrees with a few Needham theories, but otherwise did not, does not seem to oppose the second century BCE date, uh, though does firmly base it in the analysis of Needham. Mm -hmm. So anyway, coming back to this question, okay, why, why would you need your burning perfume? Why would you need your incense to have some sort of a mechanical system to keep it level? I mean, are you taking it on a ship? Are you running with it, right? Like, what's the what's the purpose? <laughs> yeah. Well, this brings us to consideration of the spherical incense burner that had been previously uh, referred to by archaeologists as, as a perfume ball, but eventually written descriptions were discovered that referred to them as, uh, as xiangnang, which uh, Huang translates as sachet, and which uh, Yabla Chinese, which is a website for translating uh, Mandarin, translates as spice ball. Now, to be clear, these are metal uh, spheres as opposed to silk or cloth-bound bags of incense. So Wong points out that these metal spheres seem to have two primary uses in Tang Dynasty China. This would be, uh, we're moving ahead uh, several centuries here. This would be uh, the period of 618 through 907 CE. Uh, so they would have two purposes, basically, as an incense burner, but also as a hand war warmer, as well as, quote, a sensor amid the covers, uh, which allowed it to set or I guess even roll around on bedding without fear of tipping over. Whoa! Um, yeah. So and and I you know, so this is something that uh, based on some of the the the, the explanations I was reading, it, it kind of brings to mind this idea of like here's this, and you can look up images of this. They're ornate. Uh, it's a it's a metal sphere, and inside there's a gimbaled system to keep a tray of burning coals and and incense from tipping over. And then you would be able to place this amid some 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 regal bedding, and the the fumes from it would of course uh, uh, make the bed smell nice. Uh, the heat from it would would potentially warm the bed. And I mean, I'm not sure from the de descriptions I was reading if this is something that would actually stay there all night. Maybe it would, and maybe that's the idea that you could be in the bed. And you wouldn't have to worry about kicking it over and you know and, and burning your covers. Even with the gimbals, I don't know that that would kind of freak me out. <laughs> but I guess I'm not used to it. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, the, there's a there's a fun history. I don't know if we could get a full invention episode out of this, but when you get into the the history of bed warmers, it's pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. The use of everything from essentially just hot bricks to, of course, bottles of water, and and then of course various uh, technological systems. I think we did touch on some. Of these in our history of the bed i mm -hmm. you know ideas where you have bed and uh, heating apparatus in a home uh, far more integrated than we're used to today yeah in, in many parts of the world world i should i should mention there are parts of the world where you still find this integration so uh, this is this is uh, insightful here huang shares a description 
of, uh, of this invention from a Western Han source. Uh, the, the source is, uh, as the, the translated title, of miscellaneous records of the Western capital, and it even credits some key inventors and innovators here. Quote, Ding Huan, a skilled craftsman from Chang'an, made an always full lamp. It had extraordinary decorations, sporting seven dragons and five phoenixes, which were supported by lotus-shaped platforms resting on stalks. He also created an incense burner, which lay on the bedcloths. It was also called the censer amid the covers. The technique is original from Fang Fing, a Han Dynasty skilled artisan, whose skills are unprecedented but now lost. It is not until Ding Huan that the technique is made possible again. To make it, Ding Huan fashioned a series of mechanically connected rings. The sensor could roll in any direction, and yet the central incense burning chamber would remain level. Thus, one could position it on the bed covers. This is how it acquired its name. Wow, so it is like the cup holder on board a ship, except instead of the ocean, it is the the, the rollicking uh, tide and waves of the bed. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, this would be a situa- seem to be a situation where, at least on some level, it passes the kid inventor test, and someone's like, no, look, we cannot have the bed covers burned anymore. We can't risk <laughs> the bed covers being burned anymore. Is there not some sort of system we could employ here? And then once you see examples of it, too, I think it's a situation where you, you kind of buy into the style of it as well, uh, this idea that here's this, this sensor that uh, you know has this internal novelty to it, but also looks quite beautiful, and then apparently can also be picked up and held as a hand warmer. Like it allows the like space between the heat source, which again would not be a roaring fire, but uh, like some hot coals, and it would allow. Um, I, I think like the, it's often when it's depicted or described, it's often like uh, noble women or royal. Um, uh, you know, f- female members of the uh, of the the, the the king's entourage, those kinds of individuals that might be ha- holding one of these to keep them warm. So something fancy, but also useful. Mm-hmm. Other inventions attributed to Ding Huan, by the way, include an evaporative cooling system and something that might have just been like a flip book, but uh, might have been some sort of a zoetrope kind of device. I think it's, uh, I think historians are kind of split on exactly what this might have been. It also might have just been some novel form of sequential artwork. The first graphic novel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, maybe so. Yeah, the, the history of sequential art is quite, quite fascinating. So, so some of these these balls, these these metal spheres, um, they uh, they had chains for hanging. Others did not. Um, these were apparently more used for for bedding or hand warmers. So, I think that's interesting as well that you end up with with hanging varieties of these. Where I guess in I, I guess that would make sense. Uh, I don't know what would be shaking the the room or the house so much, but I guess if you're going to have something hanging from a chain, you there's the potential for that movement to take place, and therefore the gimbal system would would potentially be useful. Mm-hmm. And then during the Ming Dynasty, it's also mentioned that specific types of incense could be used in one of these devices to ward away insects. So we have another uh, practical use of the device here. And Wang describes that this design eventually spreads from China to the Islamic world and Venice, quote, possibly influencing the development of the gyroscope for maritime navigation in Europe. And he Mm. points out that while incense was widely used throughout the Islamic world, this was fascinating, it never became, uh, according to this author, an essential part of Islamic ritual. 
But of course, the same cannot be said for Christianity, as we discussed in, the, in those incense episodes. So we do see the appearance of spherical incense burners in Islamic cultures, though not in religious ritual, uh, again, based, based on this paper. Uh, but also, we, we do see spherical incense burners popping up in European churches and being involved in or very closely alongside religious rituals uh, within Catholicism. Okay, so generally, yes, secular, but not religious uses of incense in the Islamic world. In Christianity, we talked about this in the um, in the previous uh, series on incense. That incense was mostly missing from Christian religious use until around the the fourth and fifth century, and and then um, it seems to be concurrent with the uh, with the overtaking of uh, the Roman Empire with Christianity as a dominant religion. That incense becomes an integral part of Christian worship. Yeah. Now, uh, an important thing here, and this is I thought this was a great point, and it's, it makes so much sense when you hear it spelled out, but when we talk about technologies and, and ideas spreading from one culture to the next, we often think of just a, a very sequential um, arrangement. Like you, you imagine something, say, traveling on the Silk Road out of China, or in this case, you can imagine this ball, like, okay, now the ball goes to... Um, goes goes to the Middle East and it takes on Middle Eastern properties and then it travels to Venice and then it takes on European properties. Uh, end of story. But but Wang points out that it's not yeah it's not just a matter of the technology traveling from China eventually to Europe, but there's a rather a fair amount of eventual back and forth involving not only European craftsmen but also Sassanian craftsmen. Um, we, of course, talked about the Sasanian Empire in previous episodes as well, uh, uh, you know, Persian, uh, Iranian craftsmen uh, adding their own touches to this, uh, to, to this uh, type of technology, and then some of that flowing back. Uh, so, mm -hmm. quote, the metalwork utilized in the Tang Dynasty censor is a consequence of the chasing and hammering techniques taught to the Chinese by the Sasanian goldsmiths of Persia, while the culture of burning incense is from India. Indian Buddhism. Hmm. So there, there are various beautiful examples of where, like, you can look up the Chinese examples of these uh, incense spheres, but you can also find some wonderful examples. Uh, for example, I included a picture here for you, Joe, of, an, of one of these that was uh, apparently forged in Damascus around the 13th century. And you can see the, like, the elegant script in here. Yeah, it's beautiful. So with this invention, we see an early use of the gimbal. Um, which uh, at, at this time is largely, I guess, best used for just this purpose. Uh, like here is something that you would want to keep stable. So uh, here is how uh, you can keep it stable. And then, I, and then, in the, like the 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 art artistry of the invention seems to take on a life of its own, and we see it employed in situations where maybe it doesn't doesn't make as much sense. But once you're crafting these beautiful uh, globes of uh, of like silver and bronze and so forth in there you can imagine them emitting this uh, sweet smelling smoke it like kind of takes on a life all its own mm -hmm. if a new house is on your wish list in the next five years grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an ohio homebuyer plus account from kemba financial credit union a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn seven percent apy a five hundred dollar matching bonus and a fifteen hundred dollar mortgage closing cost credit learn more at kemba.org offer expires march 31st 2025 apy equals annual percentage yield restrictions apply nmls 292230 equal housing lender federally insured by ncua Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? 
Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work. Now, another example that came up uh, in the research here is the Pathekion. Um, this is an example of, of a gimbal in action, and we have references to a device called the Pathekion, or Little Ape, uh, as it is uh, often translated, in a second century text on siegecraft titled On Machines by an author that is referred to by historians as Athenaeus Mechanicus. Oh, I'd seen, this is an interesting coincidence, I'd sometimes seen uh, a Philo of Byzantium, the uh, person cited with this early description of the gimbal in the 3rd century BCE, uh, as sometimes called Philo Mechanicus, so I don't know Mm -hmm. where that appellation comes from. Well, apparently, in this case, it's because um, uh, Athenaeus was a common enough name and then in referring to this particular Athenaeus, we just add the title of the text they're most known for, On Machines. Uh, so this is uh, Athenaeus Mechanicus. Okay. Some historians identify him with Athenaeus of Seleucia, uh, but there are also some alternative theories as well. Uh, again, this was a common name, and uh, apparently some of the dating of it is based on the book's preface, which uh, references uh, one Marcellus, And uh, according to historian David Whitehead, uh, this causes the dating of the text to oscillate from as early as the late 3rd century BCE to the mid-3rd century CE. Uh, But um, at any rate, the the Seleucia idea would date this to mid to late 1st century BCE. Okay. Uh, The Whitehead Whitehead here, uh, along with P.H. Blythe, they're responsible for a 2004 translation of the On Machines text. So anyway, it would, regardless on which Athenaeus wrote it and when exactly during this time period it was written, the book is largely concerned with siege machinery. Um, and it's not that long of a text either. But later in the work, uh, the author does make mention of the Pythekion or the Little Ape. Whitehead describes it uh, as follows in the 2015 paper, uh, Athenaeus Mechanicus for the Oxford Classical Dictionary, quote, a device, perhaps involving nets or gimbals, for stabilizing ship-borne machines when they are deployed in choppy seas. 
why is this an ape? I'm so curious about the name. I, yeah, the, I have a lot of uh, questions about that as well. Uh, and, and I ultimately have maybe more questions than answers here for everyone. But uh, apparently this does relate to Roman siege craft in which they would take merchant ships, yoke them together to bear the weight of siege weapons in attacking coastal towns. The little ape here was used, and this is where I get kind of foggy, uh, apparently used to keep the machines from rolling around with the movement of the ships. That's one uh, interpretation that I've seen, but uh, I'm not sure hmm. about that. Uh, the, the quote from the, the text from On Machines says, you quote, you must fix the Pathekion on the platform attached to the merchant ships in the middle so that the machine stays upright in any angle. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I mean, at this period of time, I don't know how much minute aiming would be involved mm-hmm. in the use of siege weapons. But of course, gimbals are very useful in the mounting of, of modern weapons, uh, like of, of, you know, machine gun turrets and stuff like that. Or if they're within like a ship or an airplane or something, they can be mounted within gimbals in order to stabilize for aiming purposes. Because otherwise, like you're trying to aim while the the ground or the housing is rocking all over the place. Yeah, I I have a very hard time imagining a gimbal system big enough on a Roman ship that would accommodate some sort of really robust form of uh, siege work machinery, you know, like some sort of a large uh, crossbow or catapult type device. Um, it seems like it would make more sense if it was designed for some more subtle tool of siege craft, some sort of, as we see in, in the nautical tradition, something uh, that would aid in the use of siege weapons, but not the siege weapon itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I looked around for more examples, more descriptions of what the Pathekion would have looked like, indeed why it is compared to an ape, um, I wasn't able to find much. Uh, I, was, I was looking at... Uh, in one case, I was, I was reading about deck-based weapons. Uh, I was looking at the Navies of Rome by Michael Patassi, uh, and they mentioned that uh, during the war between Caesar and Pompey, uh, the later constructed three-story towers atop merchant ships and mounted artillery on them uh, and, and used these against Caesar's blockade. Uh, just as an example of something that the Romans would have would have done with merchant ships in some sort of a, a combat scenario. But there's no mention of gimbal technology in that book, as far as I could tell. And, and he does cite uh, a text by Athenaeus at one point, or by un-Athenaeus. Uh, but yeah, so I wasn't really able to find m- much in the way of answers about exactly what the little ape was achieving. But it would seem, based on all these other examples, it seems like we would probably be talking about uh, a way to keep some sort of measurement tool steady as opposed to some sort of large uh, catapult or crossbow or what have you. Mm, Okay. I I did find a wonderful illustration, though. This was used, I think this was in Huang's article. Uh, I could be mistaken on that, but it's um, a drawing from 1567 um, by uh, Jacques Besson's uh, book. Uh, let's see, what is this? Le Cosmolab? Uh, le, le Cosmolab? Le Cosmolab. Uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's, it's a wonderful illustration of a ship. And we see this fascinating, and I, 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 I have a hard time imagining if this was ever built either, but we see like a, a table um, and chair, like a basically a, a little desk, a little office mounted inside uh, this large spherical gimbal system. 
um, that it takes up a large portion of the ship in this illustration. Yeah, I can see you have a gimbal system if you want to like mount a platform on which you can put a pool table on a ship so that you can play pool or you can play ping pong. Yeah. I, I, I wonder yeah, with illustrations like this, it's, if it's more about sort of illustrating the purpose or if it's a, or a telephone game of, a, of relating what a gimbal is and how it functions in a naval context. And then, of course, you're also probably getting into the situation where why, while it might, if you're just familiar with the, the basics of the gimbal, you might think, well, yeah, let's just put the whole office in the gimbal. Why can't we put the whole ship in the gimbal? Everybody on the ship is in the gimbal, and then nobody will get sick. And man, you know, the reality is probably a bit different from that. Um, but, I guess once uh, you, you get enough weight, you're probably putting a lot of strain on the uh, on the little pivot hinges for those rings. Yeah, so you probably come up come back to the situation then either in practicality, you know, through experimentation or through just learning more about what they're actually doing out there uh, at sea, you realize, no, this makes the most sense as a way to keep uh, specialized um, tools steady, generally small measurement tools or burning incense, certainly. <laughs> yeah, th that makes sense to me. So we mentioned earlier that systems of orthogonal gimbals are used in many technologies today, and one major theater of use is space travel. And funny enough, I actually found an old How Stuff Works article about this by our colleague Jonathan Strickland of the podcast wow. Tech Stuff, uh, highlighting the use of gimbals by NASA, if you're, if you're not familiar uh, Rob and I, we've been doing this podcast for a while, but we started doing it uh, long ago under the, the auspices of a website called How Stuff Works. Yep. So in this short little article, uh, Jonathan highlights a number of different uses of gimbals by, by NASA. Uh, for example, a harness mounted within a gimbal system is sometimes used to simulate spacewalks during astronaut training. So you want to get astronauts used to... Um, you know, the different ways that their body will sort of float around and reorient uh, smoothly in space if they're trying to do, say, external repairs on a, on a spacecraft or something. Uh, of course, the gimbals will not remove the influence of Earth's gravity, but they will simulate other aspects of, uh, of spacewalking, the way that you can, you know, change your body's orientation in any direction in space. And then, of course, there are lots of other uses within spacecraft and the mechanical parts. Uh, so, like, you might have motorized gimbals to orient solar panels to keep facing the sun, even as the position of a space station changes. Uh, of course, there are detectors and sensors, for example, an instrument called the inertial measurement unit. Uh, which is a sort of mechanical inner ear. It measures the orientation of a spacecraft, so pitch, roll, and yaw, and it also measures acceleration. And I guess this also highlights different ways that gimbals can be used. I mean, most of the gimbals we've been talking about um, are, have been free rotating gimbals that are supposed to allow, say, a platform to keep its orientation with respect to the Earth's gravity, no matter how the outer housing moves. So in that case, it would just be the, the goal of the the different gimbals in the uh, in the cardan suspension, or the uh, or you know e even just one or two gimbals. The, the purpose would just be that they can rotate easily and freely, smooth movement to uh, allow a naturally gravity-oriented platform to stay as it is. But you can also, of course, create motorized gimbals if you want to intentionally maintain the orientation of a central object or platform uh, with some kind of external control mechanism. And gimbal systems like this are, have proven very useful for cameras. So imagine you are trying to 
shoot something, keep something in focus, keep a subject of a frame in focus while the camera itself is moving. You're shooting moving video. If you just hold a camera and then you walk or run, uh, if you ever tried this, Rob, like you will often be very dissatisfied with the results. There's a lot of jostling. Yeah, yeah, like like Blair Witch effect times ten. Yeah. Uh, so to keep the movement smooth, you can make a mounting system with motorized gimbals that detect the movement coming up through the frame that's holding the camera and then use little computers inside to algorithmically adjust the uh, the camera itself to cancel out that movement. So it's not just allowing the camera to sort of like rotate freely within the gimbal system. It's actually making adjustments deliberately to smooth out any jostling that comes through the, the housing. You know, in the in the natural world, of course, uh, as we're looking around, there's kind of a gimbling effect just to our uh, 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 the way we position our head. But it's uh, also been pointed out that the chicken is a, is a like a natural gimbal. It's nature's gimbal. Uh, the, the the way a chicken can keep its head perfectly stationary whilst someone holding the chicken moves its body around. Oh, um, yeah. There's, there's some really fun videos of this, including one that, uh, that uh, I'm not sure if this was a, a, an April Fool's video or not, but it's a, uh, it's a parody in which they're saying, well, we've discovered the ultimate for uh, photography and filmmaking gimbals. We just put a little camera on top of the chicken's head and then use the chicken as the gimbal, which I thought was very, very funny. Now, um, not, not only can you keep things stable with this kind of uh, a layout, you can also, of course, just mess with uh, whatever is strapped in the middle. Uh, particularly, uh, I'm thinking of those various uh, uh, gyroscope um, mounting systems. You would see these sometimes in like carnivals. I remember seeing these uh, uh, perhaps at carnivals or in sort of like carnival type towns where you could come up, you paid your money and they would strap you into one of these things and just spin you around. Mm, um, yeah. I think sometimes there's a virtual reality uh, headset that is employed in these. And of course, if you've ever seen any kind of VR, VR exploitation uh, film, I'm particularly thinking of the Lawnmower Man films here, but films <laughs> like that, there's always going to be a scene where somebody puts on some sort of shiny jumpsuit, uh, some VR goggles, and then they're put in some sort of like neon strobe light gyroscope or, um, uh, you know, or, uh, uh, or gimbaled system. And then they're spinning all over the place. Does Pierce Brosnan get in one of those or is that, is that just uh, Jeff Fahey? <laughs> I think they both do. Yeah. Okay. I think also sometimes with mechs, you see this, right? I can't remember mm. if we saw this sort of outfit in robot jocks, but I feel like maybe they had it in, uh, I don't know, Pacific Rim or one of these type of shows. Hmm. Well, we've hit our uh, lawnmower man quota, so I think it may be time to call this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I thought this was fascinating, uh, especially when you get, again, it's kind of like the wheel where you begin asking questions. All right, at what point in human history is this technology both possible and, uh, you know, achievable and also recognizable? Like, at what point might someone have made one of these, at least as a lark? But then at what point does it become practical to put something in the middle of it. At what point, mm. point is it practical uh, to to put to build a cart, to build even a, a, a very simple cart? At what point, what point does it become practical to build some sort of gimbaled system to keep something steady if there's mm. not truly a practical reason for it? Uh, when will we discover the meaning of the little ape? True, yes. Yeah. So if anyone out there has insight on that, 
certainly write in, let us know. And just in general, examples of amazing uh, gimbals uh, from other technologies, other cultures and histories, write in. We would love to hear from you. I especially would love to hear from anyone who's seen some other great examples of these uh, these, these, these globes that burn incense uh, in various cultures in which they were built and, uh, and designed. Uh, so yeah, write in, let us know, send us your photos. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to see them. In the meantime, we'll remind you that Stuff to Blow Your Mind publishes its core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. Uh, you'll find that feed wherever you get your podcasts these days. And on Mondays, we do listener mail. On Wednesdays, we do a short form artifact or monster fact episode. And then on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That is a time for us to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a weird film. And I have to say, uh, we didn't even think about the synergy between this episode and the uh, the movie that we're going to be discussing this Friday. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.